Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. This morning is the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah. So does anyone have any thoughts or uh, any specific pieces of information related to this book uh, that they would like to share either in their own reading or as they were preparing for uh, today's class? Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Sounds like it. Okay, so. Uh, first things first, uh, let's open our Bibles uh, to the book of Zephaniah. Uh, I kind of, by way of orienting ourselves, set up the books that are around it. If you start in Matthew and work your way back, Malachi, Zechariah, which Pastor Bob will be taking us for you in a few weeks, then Haggai, then Zephaniah. Okay, so that's our book today, Zephaniah. It's a small book. My index was very well used uh, in the study as I prepared. So, um, by a general overview, uh, there's three major sections. And those three major sections are uh, starting off with a description of the day of the Lord. Uh, Then there is a series of specific judgments, uh, which are announced on the nations in Jerusalem. And then a closing picture of blessing and joy. Uh, so it breaks down about uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 2 to 2, 3, uh, chapter 2, uh, 4 to 3, 8, and then uh, chapter 3, 9 to 3, 20, uh, with the closing picture of blessing. So what do we know about the author, uh, the man, Zephaniah himself? Uh, can I have a volunteer to read uh, with a copy of the ESV from Zephaniah uh, 1, 1? Yeah. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of Jezeliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so what we know about Zephaniah are his name, uh, the time that he served, and his genealogy. And that's, uh, that's pretty much it, um, which is pretty common. Uh, with the minor prophets, these were uh, men that uh, carried the word of the Lord, but we don't know much about them um, specifically. Uh, so Zephaniah, does anyone know what that name means? Awesome, awesome, all right. Don't leave us off with that. Oh, I put it on the board, okay. <laughs> okay, our brother, our brother can read. All right, good, love it. Um, so uh, you have uh, the handout. Uh, the first blank there is um, the Lord hides. Okay, next thing we know about uh, Zephaniah is uh, the time that he served. Um, So, he served in the days of Josiah, uh, who was the king of uh, which nation, which region? (coughs) Judah, Judah, right? The king of Judah, good. Uh, So, um, that's... Uh, that will give us our immediate context, but as we think about like his original audience, as they were hearing this prophecy for the first time, uh, there were a few kings uh, that they were also most likely extremely familiar with. Uh, so the first uh, who we've heard a little bit of already is this man, Hezekiah. And David, do you mind giving us just a brief uh, review on Hezekiah, as he was uh, pretty massive during your teaching? Well, <clears throat> well, he was considered a good king because he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, he, he restored the temple of worship, which had been shut down by his uh, dad, Ahaz, who was a bad king, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, did idol worship and stuff. So he restored temple worship and tore down the Asherah poles and the, the false idols. So he was 
overall he's considered a, a good king, and he was he was king when uh, Assyria tried to uh, take Jerusalem, and the Lord uh, went out and slew 185,000 of the Assyrians, and uh, so that stayed off the taking of uh, Jerusalem for another 120 years. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So. Um, a good king, and a king that because of his prayer, which we see here, um, the Lord uh, spared, saved uh, Jerusalem from Sennacherib, uh, the king of Assyria. So uh, if you are an older man and you're hearing this prophecy, you know, and we'll see in a second why, you would know this king. Um, because he was the last godly king, and he was the king that uh, was responsible for uh, appealing to the Lord uh, and praying, uh, and the Lord uh, saved Jerusalem. Um, something else about... Uh, Hezekiah, which is important for our study this morning, is he, um, as David mentioned, he caused some pretty massive reformations in Judah. Uh, he broke down uh, the Asherah, he broke down places of idol worship, uh, and that kind of marked uh, the beginning of his reign. Okay, so who knows who Hezekiah's son is? Good. All right, Manasseh, good king or bad king? Yes, hor- horrible king. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, um, being the worst, probably the worst king uh, in Judah's history, he actually has the longest reign by my study, 55 years. Uh, son of Hezekiah, uh, one commentator uh, summarizes his life with three phrases. Uh, he wiped out the reforms of his father. He exponentially increased wickedness, and he exhausted the patience of God. And two important things about his legacy. Uh, in the kings, there's kind of that like uh, footnote on their life. Right, um, And his footnote uh, says, As for the events of Manasseh's reign and all that he did, including the sin he committed, are they not written in the books of the annals of the kings of Judah? He is specifically remembered um, for his sin. And a big part of that is uh, because his sin uh, was so wicked uh, that it actually causes the Lord to promise judgment uh, on, on Judah and on Jerusalem. And we learned about this uh, from Pastor Bryce a few weeks ago. Uh, if you remember, he gave... Uh, Manasseh's life is a good example of what humility looks like and how we should seek the Lord um, because it does look like he came to the Lord when he was in captivity. We see here uh, him being led away uh, to Babylon, uh, to captivity, and it seems like he genuinely uh, comes to uh, repentance, comes to faith, uh, and is given forgiveness. Yet um, the legacy uh, of his leadership and of his sin has a lasting impact on his family and on the nation of Judah. So horrible king. Next is his son, Amon. Uh, who knows Amon, or Amon's name? Uh, we heard about it uh, from our brother Daniel last week, um, but does anyone remember anything specifically about Amon, Manasseh's son? And there's probably a good reason. He was only king for two years. Two years. Um, and uh, what Second, Second Chronicles uh, says about this king so Amon was 22 years old and when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. Amon sacrificed all the images that Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. But this Amon incurred guilt more and more, and his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Uh, now, why was it important that the people of the land made his son king immediately? His son, we'll see, was very young, 
um, but his son was made king immediately after Amon was killed. Why is that important? To maintain the Davidic dynasty. Amazing, amazing, good, yeah. So uh, Judah, um, and particularly, the, particularly this group of men, uh, not the men in this picture, um, but the men in this picture, most likely, um, they uh, recognized that the Lord had made some very specific promises um, to uh, Judah uh, connected uh, to the line of David. So Josiah was the next king in that line, young man, uh, we'll see here, extremely young boy, uh, and they crowned him. Yeah, I love it, I love it. Uh, yeah, so um, he is king, um, and he's made king immediately after the death of his father. So uh, Josiah, was Josiah a good king or a bad king? Very, very good king. Um, and what we know for sure is that this prophecy was given during uh, the time when Josiah was king, um, but we don't, it's hard to actually pin down specifically when it was. We can make deductions, um, and I think some deductions uh, have been made and have been well made, um, but I'm not comfortable saying specifically when uh, in his reign uh, this prophecy was given. Uh, and as I was like, there's, as I was trying to organize my thoughts about King Josiah, here are three images that came up. So uh, the first one we've already talked about, kind of him being made uh, king at a very young age in a very kind of hectic atmosphere as there had been the coup and then uh, the people that had committed the coup were executed uh, and then he is crowned king. And then there's two more images. What do those show? Only idols and then the rediscovery of the law. Good, good, right? So, uh, and something that is really interesting about this is the uh, reformations, uh, the tearing down of the idols, actually happens in the beginning of his reign, about six years before the law is discovered. So it is obvious to Josiah uh, that the people had wandered away into idolatry, even without the specific, most likely, the curses being read from Deuteronomy over the people when they were um, wandering into idolatry and wandering to worshiping uh, false gods. Josiah knew as a young man that this idolatry was wrong. Um, and then we see uh, the book of the law is read. And what is Josiah's response to the book of the law? I mean, so. yeah, he tears his clothes. And it says because um, his fathers and because the people before him had um, neglected the law. They hadn't been reading it. They hadn't been studying it. And um, there are some very specific consequences spelled out uh, in the law uh, about uh, that disobedience that they then fell into. Uh, so the four kings are Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, and Josiah. Josiah being king during this prophecy. And we just went through a kind of a brief overview of his life. Uh, but getting back to our prophet this morning, uh, the last thing that we know about him is his genealogy. His genealogy. So, how many generations is that? Four generations, right? Okay, so, here's the other prophets. Hosea, Joel, Dar or not Darius... Um, Zechariah, Jonah, one generation. Uh, I couldn't find any genealogies in these other prophets. And we have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, one generation. So there's something specific, most likely. I think it's a fair deduction. There's something specific and unique about um, Zephaniah's uh, genealogy. And when you look at it, the last name uh, is Hezekiah. So I believe, and I'm, a, I'm of the conviction, that this is King Hezekiah, uh, which would make this prophet royalty, uh, the only prophet that is royalty, uh, most likely great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah, which would make him probably the cousin, distant cousin of King Josiah. And uh, we'll see the relevance of that in a second. 
So, uh, does anyone have any questions at this point? The year? Yeah, good. So um, the year of Josiah's reign uh, was 640 to 609, I believe. Uh, 31 years. And I will get back to you on the specifics of that. And remember, it works backwards, right? Because BC, um, it's the years before Christ. So 640 is actually further back than 609. 609 is more recent. Yeah, that kept throwing me off. Um, So, okay. Uh, The... uh, the uh, major theme of this book is uh, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Uh, does anyone have any thoughts, or uh, would anyone uh, feel comfortable describing the concept of the day of the Lord? Terrible judgment at political horror and destruction. Hmm. And specifically, what attribute of God is demonstrated on the day of the Lord? Justice. Justice. Good. Uh, so uh, one uh, trusted preacher summarized the day of the Lord well um, by contrasting it against our current day, or the day of man. Uh, when we look around uh, right now in this current day, it seems like we are completely in control. Uh, we call the shots, we set the agenda. It can be easy to think uh, that as we eat, drink, get married, go to work, watch TV, go for a date, go for a hike, go outside, stay inside, whatever we want to do, uh, it's very easy to think that we are in charge and that we set the priorities. But on the day of the Lord, that's a day when God very clearly and visibly uh, demonstrates his authority. That's a day of judgment uh, and a day of joy. Judgment on unbelief, uh, wickedness, and oppression. And joy and salvation and vindication uh, for those uh, who are uh, faithful um, to God. Uh, And this concept is used in scripture in a way that can point to Uh, kind of like a partial fulfillment and a complete fulfillment. Uh, So to illustrate this idea, uh, I personally don't have any experience with this, but uh, I'm aware of this process. Uh, When a couple is being married, um, one of the things that they do to prepare for the wedding uh, is they go uh, to decide on a cake, right? And as they're deciding on a cake, uh, they go to a specific place with their uh, wedding planner, uh, and the wedding planner will kind of bring out uh, various servings of the cakes Uh, But they're very small pieces, and uh, what they eat could taste very good, um, but it's going to be a very small slice, right? And it's going to be very, uh, what's the word, like very uh, unappealing. It's probably just going to be like the batter itself, just baked, uh, so they can get a taste of the cake. Uh, The baker most likely would put a lot less effort into preparing that piece, uh, but it's it's the same cake, uh, just smaller and less impressive. Uh, Then, a few months later, Uh, That baker will take hours and hours to not only make the cake taste good, but look beautiful. And when they're done, it will be glorious. They'll wheel it out, and everyone will be impressed. And on that day, it will be extremely hard, right, for that uh, groom, most likely, to compare that small piece of cake that he ate a few months earlier with this, like, glorious display in front of him of icing and flowers and all this beautiful stuff. Um, In a very, like, not very, but in a kind of similar way, God's justice is very clearly demonstrated through military campaigns, invasions, and exile. So the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom of Israel was a day of the Lord. Uh, The Babylonian uh, invasion of Judah uh, was a day of the Lord. However, the final day of the Lord will be a perfect and complete demonstration of God's justice with the bodily return of Christ uh, in complete glory and holiness. 
Uh, so that's the main theme uh, being the day of the Lord. Uh, here is the region um, of uh, Zephaniah's day. You have the kingdom of Judah, the, the uh, capital Jerusalem, uh, the surrounding nations, which will be, me- which will be mentioned, um, Nineveh and Cush. And this is kind of zoomed out. So like this little piece right here is that piece right there. So when we like read through, when we study through Zephaniah, the whole book, uh, he's preaching to a people after almost 60 years of horrible leadership. And because of that leadership, uh, there has been horrible behavior uh, on the part of the people. In this context, Zephaniah gives five clear truths uh, that demand a response. First, God's judgment is coming. Uh, Second, God's authority is complete. Uh, Third, God's grace is available. Fourth, God's salvation is promised. And lastly, God delights in his people. Uh, So first, uh, God's judgment is coming. So let's please uh, look back at the word, and I'm going to open us up uh, starting in verse, or chapter 1, verse 2, and I'm going to read all the way uh, to 2, uh, verse 3. The Lord speaking through Zephaniah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar. For all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them. On the day of the wrath of the Lord and the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect. Before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. So look at the beginning there, and tell me what we see first in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. What is outlined there? Remove everybody, everything. 
Yeah, complete judgment. Complete judgment. Uh, and uh, a lot of teachers uh, do a good job of showing this is actually a reversal of the creation order, right? So uh, he says, uh, man, beast, birds, fish of the sea. The Lord created them in the order of fish of the sea, birds, beast, man. And then we also have a picture of complete darkness. Um, now, does anyone remember any scenes of dramatic judgment uh, in the Old Testament? The flood. The flood, right? But in the flood, that was complete judgment. But in the flood, what from this list was not wiped out? Right? The fish were not wiped out. And then also there was still a little bit of light. Right? So this is complete judgment that the Lord is promising. Okay. Question. As the people of God, what is the sin that we uh, should focus on first? Sin of ourselves. Excellent. Paul, brother, you're crushing it. All right, we got to we gotta, we gotta share, share the love here. All right, it's not, so... It's another pretty thing. <laughs> yeah, so good. So, right, so we got to focus on our own sin first. Right, so this portion describes a day of judgment that you'll see will extend uh, like to the corners of the known earth. But as soon as it starts getting specific, the first name listed is Judah. God speaks directly uh, to his people. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 uh, is a common uh, memory verse. Uh, it speaks about the heart. Does anyone uh, either remember it or like to try to summarize it? The heart is... Deceitful. Yeah, desperate. Oh, good. Good, kept going. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so both deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it, right? Uh, so uh, the Bible tells us that we need to be cautious of our own heart. So in any conflict, fight, disagreement, uh, or uh, disobedience before the Lord, uh, it's very rare uh, that we immediately see ourselves as uh, the bad guy, right? Very rare that we see ourselves immediately as sin and in the wrong. The solution to that is an external standard of justice that shows us our error. And we see this uh, in the next section, uh, specifically uh, why God's judgment was coming, uh, verses 4 to 6. Uh, so three categories, uh, very similar to what was mentioned um, by uh, Brother Daniel last week. Uh, so first we have false worship uh, in the verses uh, 4 to 6, uh, false uh, worship. Uh, and that's the worship of false gods, the worship of the true God and false ones, and people who have fallen away from worshiping God altogether. And I kind of want to read that so we can see each element. I'm not going to go through this specifically on the remainder of the points, but... Um, starting uh, worship of false gods. Those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So all three of those false worship um, practices um, were condemned um, by Zephaniah. Next is social practices. So adopting the appearance of other nations, right, uh, speaks of those in foreign attire. Uh, and then an allusion to what could be either full foreign cultural or religious practice of leaping over the threshold. Uh, and then next we have the common life of complete indifference um, to God, a complete indifference to God. Uh, and how, why is a uh, complete indifference to God a problem? Shows the heart has grown cold. Yeah, the heart has grown cold, right? It ignores uh, the Lord's authority. It ignores the Lord's um, power, right? Like these people, um, they said, the Lord shall not do good, uh, nor will he do ill. Those who are complacent, right? So uh, that also uh, is an insult uh, to the Lord, right? Who controls all things, 
um, and also has some very real uh, moral um, demands and moral standards. And then uh, verse 10 and 11, then 10 to 11, uh, speaking of the fish gate, the second quarter, um, these are regions inside Jerusalem. Uh, so the Lord is saying that judgment is coming specifically, specific judgment for specific sin at a specific time in a specific place. So this is just kind of bringing it home to these listeners. This is coming. This is going to be real. And the enemy is going to be inside uh, the gates as an agent of the Lord's just, just, justice, judgment, pardon me. How do we naturally feel about justice? Depends on who the justice is yeah. <laughs> Good, right? So we are all for it. Yeah, right? As long as it's justice on someone else. All right? So we feel good, we feel enthusiastic and vindictive until it applies to us. Uh, we see here that the day of God's justice is complete, uh, terrifying, and inescapable. But uh, we get a glimpse of hope, uh, and that comes near the end there, at the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, the people are given a very specific command. Uh, what's that command? Uh, 2 verses 1 and 2. To gather together. Good, right? To gather together, to seek the Lord. Um, to turn away from their sin and to pursue him. But they're commanded to do it quickly. Uh, their window for repentance was small and because judgment was coming very soon. And the image that uh, the Lord gives here uh, to them is that it's like the chaff um, before it's blown away. Uh, as as uh, I was trying to like, think of a, a common, like a current illustration of that, uh, imagine that you're checking your mail, uh, and as you're walking to your car, you're checking your mail, and there's a check, right? You open it up, you see the check, you have a look at the check, uh, but then you drop the check, and you're outside, and it's during a windstorm, and that check is now on the ground. You have about half a second, right, to slam your foot down on that check uh, before that check is sucked away. Um, that is uh, similar to the image of the chaff, right? Uh, Zephaniah is saying, turn. He's saying, turn, and turn quickly. God offers hope and righteousness if you would turn to him, but you need to do it now. And if that's available, uh, they're given shelter, protection. They could be hid from the punishment, and from the wrath of God. Here we have the possibility offered of being hidden from the judgment. And next we have God's authority is complete. Uh, from chapter uh, 2, uh, verse 4, to 3, verse 1. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read uh, that entire section, but I would encourage you uh, to do that. Um, actually, I'm going to read uh, the first. I'm going to read verse 3, because I think I skipped that. Uh, so after the command... Um, that uh, we've just gone through. Uh, verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord. And the next section, uh, 2, uh, verse 4, uh, to 3, verse 1. And this section, uh, we see God's authority is complete. God's authority is complete. So in the Old Testament, who are the people of God? Israelites, right? The Jewish people. Are the people of God, the Jewish people, the only ones uh, that were accountable to God? No. No, right? Um, so what we see is God turning from Judah to address the surrounding nations. And here's our map again. Um, these nations are mentioned, specific judgments um, related most of the time to how they treated uh, the Jewish people. So God has just told the Jewish people, right, um, there is judgment coming uh, for your sin. 
Um, and as um, Brother Daniel mentioned last week, right, the judgment would come through the use of a, a wicked foreign power, a wicked army, yet that wicked foreign power, that wicked army would also itself be judged by God, right? Those nations would be judged um, because God's standard uh, applies to all. Um, but as I was going through it, right, so uh, a few that are mentioned are Canaan, Moab, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Nineveh. And the concept that we see here, um, it's also mentioned in here, is you see a remnant. You see a remnant of Judah uh, who are going to be saved uh, from the wrath of God, um, mentioned in these portions of, of uh, very, like this prophecy of very specific judgments. So I'm going to try to find, so uh, verse 7 uh, in chapter 2. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze, and in the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. So there is a remnant. There's a group that actually obeys the command given at the beginning of the chapter. Um, and we see that specifically through how uh, the Lord will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. And thinking about these regions um, that Sodom and Gomorrah is actually given as a picture of judgment, but thinking through these regions that are judged very dramatically in this section, I couldn't help but think of other demonstrations of God's mercy on these regions or on people associated with these regions. Uh, can anyone think of mercy uh, extended uh, to these regions or to these people groups? Who's someone who's saved out of Canaan? becomes a part of the nation of Israel, actually, in the genealogy of Christ. Rahab. Nice. Rahab. Good. And Moab, same thing. Someone who uh, comes out of her nation, uh, joins the people of Israel, is also uh, in the genealogy of Christ. Ruth. Good. Good, good. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, someone is saved out of that wicked city. Lot. And then Nineveh, how do they experience uh, the kindness and the patience of the Lord? Yeah, they all repented because of the ministry of Jonah, right? So um, the Lord will not be mocked, right? The Lord has a very real, very true standard of justice, yet he delights to show mercy. He delights to save sinners, sinners like those in Judah, sinners like those in the nations, and sinners like us. Next we see God's grace is available. God's grace is available. And that's chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Can I have a volunteer to read chapter 3, verses 1 to 8? Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that you have appointed against you. But all the more you were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. Thank you, brother. 
So what is grace? Unmerited favor to one totally unworthy. Good. Good. Unmerited favor uh, to one totally unworthy. Uh, when we come back to Jerusalem, uh, we see uh, Judah has access to the truth. They have experienced uh, the faithfulness and the presence of God. They've seen God judge others, uh, often fighting for them. Yet, uh, in that closing, as Daniel read, all the more uh, they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Here, Zephaniah shows that God's grace is available, but it is refused. Which brings us to our next point. Uh, God's salvation is promised. God's salvation is promised. And there's a little bit of a longer section here. So, uh, can someone volunteer to read uh, 3, uh, 9 to 13? And then someone volunteer to read 3, uh, 14 to 20? Two volunteers? I got 9 to 13. Okay, sweet. And then Dalton. Uh, chapter 3, verse 9 to 13. For then, yeah. for then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord God to serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings. In that day, you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud, exalting ones. And you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people. And they will take refuge in the name of the Lord God. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. For they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Thank you, brother. Shout for joy, O daughters of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughters of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgment against you, and he has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more, and that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feast. They came from you, O Zion. The approach of exile is a burden on them. Behold, I am going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. Even at that time, I will gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Uh, and praise God uh, for, um, for this truth and for men that have um, passed uh, down this truth, men uh, and women, uh, I believe, associated with some of the translation uh, committees. Um, but in the providence of God, both of those were from the NASB 95, I believe. Um, so I would like someone to reread uh, verse 17. Just verse 17. So reread verse 17 from the ESV. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. With loud singing. 
Okay, so uh, just kind of um, getting a running start uh, into what I believe is like kind of the meat of this book, this glorious uh, day of blessing. Um, we have uh, verses 8 and 9, which were at the end of Daniel's reading. So, uh, therefore, wait for me, uh, declares the Lord, uh, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth uh, shall be consumed. So, in those two verses, there's a summary of almost the entire book before that, another command, and a reminder, and a reason. Uh, and the reason for the judgment coming. Uh, can someone tell me what that is in verse 9? Uh, verse 9, the reason uh, that the earth will be uh, consumed, the reason the judgment is coming. Because of his grace. Because of his... Because of his... Grace that he's given to his people. Okay. Yes. Good, good thought as it, as it relates to kind of the... Uh, um, the salvation that he would give them. Uh, there is another thing that I'd like to highlight, though. Um, for in the fire of my jealousy, the fire of my jealousy, um, how should we be thinking about the jealousy of God? Is it a good thing? It's a great thing, right? Um, his jealousy is not like our jealousy. Our jealousy is a small and juvenile desire. Uh, for what someone else has. Um, God's jealousy is a holy desire for what is rightfully his, uh, the praise and glory uh, that he deserves. And with that in your mind, uh, please read as I, as I pardon me, please listen as I read uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 4. Uh, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens created, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So the promise of the day of the Lord, right, these very real and very vivid images, uh, they're not unique to the Old Testament, right? Peter here uses it specifically as an encouragement to the church uh, to remain faithful, uh, to remain keeping an eye towards evangelism. But why does Peter say that it hasn't happened yet? I'm sorry I prevented you guys from turning there, but if you were attentive listeners, why does Peter say that it hasn't happened yet, the day of the Lord? Because he's patient. Because he's patient, right? There are more to be saved. There are more to be saved. I want you to look at the harmony. In verse 7, 9, and 14. All right, so here we have... 
uh, patience, we have justice, and we have the opportunity given to us as the church, as emissaries, as representatives of this God. And then lastly, uh, as read, we have uh, the purified people. Um, So these purified people uh, in chapter 3, getting back to Zephaniah, uh, starting in verse 9, these people are saved, right? Uh, Finish this thought. Uh, Hang on. What does Jesus say about uh, the mouth? What does the mouth reflect? The heart, heart, right? Uh, The mouth reflects the heart. So we have here, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So these people are saved. And this people here does not just include uh, Jerusalem, Judah, and Israel, but also the nations, right? That noun, right? I will change the speech of the peoples. It's plural. I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord. Because of this worship, there's an agreement, a unity and cohesion uh, that I think the, the NASB 95 does a really good job of showing. Um, so uh, the ESV says with one accord, but what does uh, the NASB 95 say there at the end of verse 9? How will we serve him? Yeah, shoulder to shoulder. I think it's the LSB that says with one shoulder, right? So with uh, one um, purpose, with one commitment, um, which is just a, a beautiful image of unity and cohesion. And then lastly, uh, verses 11 to 20, we have God uh, delighting in his people. Uh, And this refers primarily um, back to the remnant of Judah. Uh, So the proud have been removed, and those that are left are humble and holy, and God preserves and protects them. And then 14 to 20, uh, we have uh, the people commanded to sing, praise, and shout um, because of what God has done uh, for them. And you see the love of God for his people and the promise to protect, restore, and establish them. And this, if you, if you remember, like, as we think about uh, the Jewish people that would have heard this prophecy for the first time, uh, if you were to think of someone who was faithful, right, who genuinely um, believed uh, in the Lord and was seeing all this idolatry and was seeing all of this wicked leadership, um, this would have been an amazing comfort, right? The Lord has pleasure in them. The Lord uh, rejoices in them, even though it looks like there is just wicked leadership. Um, the Lord rejoice, rejoices uh, and delights in them um, specifically. And things looked bad, uh, and they would get worse. Uh, so the remnant was about to suffer uh, with the Babylonian invasion. Um, but uh, as the ESV says, right, God sings over them, which apparently is uh, unique to this book. Apparently, uh, the Lord is not said to sing elsewhere in scripture and I've, I've not scoured that myself so i can't specifically speak to that myself but very trusted very godly men have said um, that this is um unique to this book the lord uh, singing over his people and when he does uh, he does not sing over the sun or the ocean or the stars or the mountains or the millions of other glorious creations uh, that he has made he sings over his saved and redeemed people and we know this concept runs through uh, the New Testament. Um, how are we as the church uh, described? As the church, what are we? God's people. God's Bride. people, good. What was that? Bride of Christ. Bride of Christ. Good, good, good. Uh, so uh, 
as a church, uh, very uh, rightly and well uh, focused on family, especially this quarter. Um, Ephesians 5.25 is uh, something that we spend a lot of time in, especially uh, as the men uh, seek to lead their families in a godly way. Um, but I want to read a 5.25 um, starting uh, just after uh, the command given to husbands with the focus on this, with the focus on God's pleasure in his people. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Christian saint, right? Brother or sister in Christ, God loves you. God loves us very really and very specifically. He loves us. He delights in us. And if you know that you are not a Christian, my friend, if you know that you are not a Christian, there is no greater love or hope available than what comes through the gospel. This being brought into the family of God uh, through the work of his son, right? His son's perfect life, his perfect death on our behalf, that he could die our death for our sin uh, so that we could place our hope in him, turning away from our sin, and turning away from any idea that we could be good or right on our own. And trusting completely in his person, in his work, and in his glorious salvation. And we just need to remember just the faithfulness and the kindness of God to keep this book preserved for thousands of years. Uh, to show us a God that offers us this forgiveness and this joy. Uh, most specifically, um, reflecting on John 3.16 and 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Uh, so five truths uh, from this book that demand a response. Um, for the Christian, God's... Oh, goes back there. God's judgment is coming. God's authority is complete. God's grace is available. God's salvation is promised. And God delights in his people. And for the unbeliever, God's judgment is coming. God's authority is complete. God's grace is available. God's salvation is promised. And God delights in his people. And by way of uh, application later today, um, I'd encourage you and I'd encourage us to think about the justice of God. Um, the love of God and the patience of God and how these three um, fit together. Uh, specifically, we have a great opportunity coming up uh, this weekend um, to get together and learn about the missionaries that we support, to learn about the work of sending uh, men and women to go and proclaim uh, the gospel to people that either have not heard at all or do not have the benefit of the amazing education and training that we have here. Um, I'd encourage you to make time in your schedule for that, uh, the missions conference uh, coming up next weekend. And then we have opportunities to talk about Jesus with people that probably have not heard an accurate thing about him, ever. Uh, the grace available, uh, the gospel that could save them, uh, and the fellowship uh, that we've had uh, and enjoyed already today. Uh, so thank you, saints.